This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 12. Let us give our careful attention to the Word of God. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Thus far God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Thanks be to God. Now, in today's passage, John calls attention to the struggle between righteousness and lawlessness. It's interesting that he uses this word lawlessness. Of course, he identifies it with sin. Sin is lawlessness. But here he makes the contrast between righteousness and lawlessness. And by lawlessness, he does not mean general anarchy. In other words, uh, nobody's obeying the law in the streets or something like that. But rather, he calls attention to the world's rejection of the law of God as set forth primarily in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments and various moral requirements that the Lord has said are necessary both for the welfare of mankind and to restrain the wrath of God which human sin arouses. Righteousness, on the other hand, marks those who take the law of God seriously and strive to please Him and uphold His honor. So I want to uh, particularly deal with this idea of lawlessness that uh, John raises here. And we'll talk about first the state of lawlessness, and then conflict with lawlessness, regeneration and lawlessness, and finally, lawlessness exposed. Those are our four points this morning. So the state of lawlessness. Now, sometimes you hear the term used, antinomianism. And antinomianism means opposition. The word anti in that context means opposition. is opposition to the law. And unfortunately, even in some Christian groups, there's the idea, well, we don't need to obey the commandments of God anymore. Uh, because Christ has died for us and our sins are forgiven, so we won't worry about uh, not lying or committing adultery or some of those things because uh, 
we just don't think the law is important anymore. And that's what we call antinomianism, the opposition to the law having any place in a believer's life. Then there's another phrase. You hardly ever hear this phrase, but it's the one that John uses here. And it's called anomianism. And that uh, little vowel ah before most anything in Greek means that it doesn't uh, appear, it doesn't exist. And they feel that uh, there is no law. You don't really have to obey the law because there is no law as such. And they are the anomians, if you will. And uh, there's a difference, you see, between the two. I've tried to describe. There's the one people who say, well, we see the law is there and people used to have to keep the law, but now they don't need to anymore. And then there's the other idea that, well, there really is no law. Everybody's his own law. You make up your own law. You do your own thing. So it's interesting that John here then talks about lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. He's talking about the practice of sin. In in the Greek language, again, when he uses the present tense, it means it's an ongoing thing. Not just a one-time occurrence or even a several-time occurrence, but just it's a way of life. It's a state. People live in a state of lawlessness. That is, they completely leave the law of God, the commandments of God, out of their lives. It, It just means living without God's law or trying to do that anyway, although it's not really possible to do that. Because the Bible says the law of God is written on the heart. And that uh, when, when you do break that law, your conscience begins to bother you. Now your conscience can become very hardened and uh, you can convince yourself that uh, there's no law to worry about or anything like that. However, the fact is that everyone is responsible, and that means Christians, non-Christians, everyone is responsible to obey God, to keep His commandments, to keep His law. And that uh, in the day of judgment, everybody is going to have to face the fact that they have broken God's law. The Bible says there's not one that's righteous, not even one. Now the anomian person ignores the law of God, yes, says, well, there is none, or sometimes he co-opts it saying, well, I I do think it's not a good idea to steal, and I I don't think we should murder. And, uh, you know, some things of the law, they like to co-opt and say, well, in my mind, and I've got a group of people around me kind of agree with that, so we'll say that murder is bad. Uh, We'll say that stealing is bad. We'll, We'll take those things in. But they give no credit to God. They don't say that the law is written on their hearts. They don't say that it's important to, to follow what God says. And so even though they may co-opt some things, still they are anomians. That is, they just don't really have God's law in their life at all. And then what about those who are believers? Well, they sin too. You don't become perfectly sinless uh, once you come to the Lord, give your heart to the Lord. Uh, what happens is that uh, you have a different inclination. Your, your whole attitude and the, the way you practice life becomes completely different. Yes, you're not perfect. However, you do not live in a state of lawlessness. You recognize, yes, I, I should obey the Lord. I, I should keep my marriage vows. I should uh, honor my father and my mother. I should do all those things that are stated in God's law. 
And, and so the person whose heart has been made inclined toward doing that, uh, that person then will take seriously all of these matters, will even want them codified uh, to some extent within society, and uh, will, will stand up very much for the law of God. They're not antinomian, and they're not anomian, but they are, they are in favor of the law, only they understand this one very important thing, that you cannot save yourself by obeying God because you can't do that perfectly. God says either you obey me perfectly and live or you don't obey me perfectly and you perish. But the the answer that God has for that of course is the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners, who takes away sins. The Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses us and gives us his status when we stand before God. In that day of judgment, all we have to plea is the blood of Christ, claiming that He has saved us, that He has paid the price for our sins, and that His righteousness has been granted to us. That's our only hope. And that's the difference between living in a state of lawlessness or living in a state of, not righteousness, but a state of grace, by which the righteousness that you need is accredited to you, and the inclination to serve God becomes the major force in your life, even if you don't quite do it perfectly. But you do live in the hope that one day, God will make everything perfect. There'll be no more sin. And we look forward to that time. But as we live right now, you either live in a state of lawlessness, or you live in a state of grace. And uh, you live so that by repentance, and by that grace, and by sanctification, you can live in such a way that pleases God. But it's not the state of lawlessness. Rather, this is a state of grace. That's our first point then. There is a state of lawlessness that goes on in many lives today. And you don't want to be found there at all. Okay, secondly, we find in this passage that we have read from 1 John, a conflict with lawlessness. Now, there can be a conflict just in society in general. If you have a whole bunch of people who say, well, the only law I'm going to obey is, is my own law, the one that I make up, the one that I think is important. But, uh, in fact, that's not the conflict that we really want to deal with. In other words, society may say, we can't live like this in this sort of anarchical state. But uh, we need one who can really deal with this state of lawlessness in, in some permanent and thorough way and again, that's through the grace of God and, and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the law of God, you see, mirrors the perfect character of God. When we read the Ten Commandments, when we read other commandments of a moral nature, we are really examining the character of God. What is God like? Well, God is like all the things that are set forth in terms of uh, consistency, of doing the right thing, we're, we're seeing the, the God who is, who is perfect in every act, in every thought, in everything that He does. The law of God that's given to us, it mirrors the character of God, the perfect character of God. Now, interestingly, God says, well, I'm perfect, you be perfect too. And we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't do that. And again, that's why we need help. That's why we need a Savior. That's why God sent His Son into the world. So that the incarnation of Christ, the behavior of Christ, also manifests 
the character of God. And in fact, John here is writing, he says, in him, and that's the title of our sermon this morning, in him there is no sin. In him there is perfection. Well, the only one who's truly perfect, the only one who's truly good, is God himself. But God has come to us, he's entered our world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, again, in, in the incarnation, the taking of human flesh, and in the behavior of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see the character of God played out before your very eyes. It's one thing to say, well, God's in heaven and He doesn't have any temptations and He doesn't go through anything. He doesn't know what it's like for us. But God said, oh yes, I do. Because I've come into the world and I have lived a human life without sin. And you want to know the character of God, then look at the One whom I sent. Look at my Son. Look at at, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. In Him, there is no sin. Verse 5 once again. Now notice also in verse 5, he said, He appeared in order to take away sins. Uh, this little word, to take away, is, is the word afe, which is the, the word that means to remit or send away or completely cut off. And that's what God does. Uh, God, through Christ, cuts off the sin that, that drags us down. As the writer of Hebrews says, the sin that does so easily beset us. But He came to take away sins. And that's what verse 5 says again. He appeared. He came into this world in order to take away sins. And there's the conflict. There's the conflict, yes, in society where, where people say we can't live without some regulations and some law. Everybody can't just be their own law. That's one kind of conflict. But the one He's talking about here is that Christ came into the world to fight to fight the devil, to fight sin, and to overcome in all these things. He appeared in order to take away sins. Yes, there is a state of lawlessness, but Christ came not in a state of grace because He didn't need grace, but He came in order that we might live in a state of grace by fighting against the devil, against sin. In fact, So great is this conflict, it says that the Son of God appeared, verse 8, the Son of God appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. That destroying gives you the idea of the conflict there. And there's a conflict always going on. That uh, when, when you are up against the devil, when you are up against your own sins, when you can't seem to overcome, there is one who is in conflict with lawlessness and he wants to make you righteous before God and acceptable to God so that you don't practice sin. You don't live in that state of lawlessness. Okay, so we have the next in, in the third point, the regeneration and lawlessness. Christ came, as we've seen in the, in the previous verses, to promote the opposite of lawlessness. This is His, his mission, His work. Yes, to destroy, to fight, as we said, but to have the result that there is then this state of grace which becomes ultimately a state of righteousness. So now how did Christ do this? Well, He went to the cross. He died for sinners on the cross. He says whoever believes in Him would receive from Him not just everlasting life, but would receive something within themselves 
that enables them to move in the direction of perfectly pleasing God. In addition to the cross, this defeat of lawlessness is accomplished especially by the new birth, or what we call regeneration. You can't escape the state of lawlessness unless you're born again, unless you're born from above. This is what Jesus tried to get across to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John. Uh, He said, uh, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God. In other words, you, you can't appreciate the perfection of God. You can't enter into that unless you're born again. Otherwise, you're going to continue in the state of lawlessness. That's where you're going to live. That's how you are going to live. You are going to be an unregenerate person. You're going to be a person of lawlessness, whether it's just a little bit or whether you stretch it out as wide as it'll go. You're going to live in a state of lawlessness. Now what happens in the matter of regeneration is that the Spirit of God comes to those who will believe in Christ and changes their hearts. One of the first things they do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, He begins this work of sanctification, we call it, of becoming more and more holy, more and more like Christ, more and more in the state that uh, only grace can provide, which is ultimately the state of righteousness. Believers have received a new heart that loves righteousness and hates sin. That doesn't mean there are not times in our lives where where sin gets the best of us and we say, I kind of like this and I'm tempted to continue in it. But that new heart says you can't do that. That's just not the way you are anymore. You're not a person who lives in that state of lawlessness. Rather, you're pursuing now, because you're in a state of grace, you're pursuing righteousness and ultimately you're going to live only in that state of righteousness. So you've got a new heart that loves righteousness and hates sin. And then notice also, he uses a term here that he's used in uh, other places. We should be familiar with it by now, both from the Gospel of John and, and from this first letter of John. And that is to abide in Christ. The born again person is going not only to give his life to the Lord, but he's going to abide in Christ, to abide in the Lord Himself. That means that his whole life is rested in Him, is positioned in Him. And uh, everything he needs in order to live in a way that, that God will accept, Christ provides him, Christ gives to him. We can call it a state of grace, we can call it abiding in Christ, But that's the state that we live in. That's the condition that we are if we're trusting in the Lord. We're abiding in Him. And if Christ is at war with the devil, if Christ came into the world to take away sins, then that has to be our attitude and will be our attitude if we are born again. That we just can't stay in the state of sin, lawlessness. We can't abide that. We have to move on to something other than that, something our hearts long for and and desire, and that is this righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ because of the heart that has been given to us. So uh, the uh, regeneration ultimately means that we come to abide in Him and, and, and join Him in this war against evil. We don't put up with it, we don't tolerate it for very long if we do at all, 
we, we are against that. That's our state now. There's a state of war. I remember when, uh, I, I shouldn't say I remember, but I remember seeing the newsreels of uh, President Roosevelt. He asked for a declaration of war on December the 8th uh, after Pearl Harbor on December the 7th. And he said, I asked the, the Congress to declare that a state of war exists between the United States and the Empire of Japan. Well, that's when you're, when you're born again, then that declaration has been made in your case. It applies to you. There, there's a state of war between you and evil. Why? Because now you've been moved out of lawlessness, out away from ungodliness, uh, to live in the light, as he puts it in another place in 1 John, to walk in the light and to keep trusting in Christ because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. So there is a, a state of lawlessness. There's a conflict that Christ is engaged in with lawlessness. And because we become born again people, then that becomes our state too. Our state of fighting against sin and living by the grace of God unto righteousness. Now there's one more thing here in the passage that I think it's important for us to see. And uh, it comes right at the end when, he's, when he brings up again this matter of loving your brother or your sister in the Lord. And uh, if you want any sort of test, and I'm sure the Bible would, will give you other tests besides this one, but this is the one that John brings up. If you want to know whether you're living in a state of lawlessness or not, how do you feel toward other believers? Do you love them? Do you want to be with them? Do you care for them? Do you pray for them? Even if they're not always the nicest people, even if they're not exactly the, the kind of people that you would like to be around, do you care about them and love them? And uh, it's so important. I know a lot of people who, who say, well, I don't like to go to church because church is full of hypocrites. I don't like to, uh, to be in this group or that group because I don't like this person or that person. And John says, wait a minute, that's not living in the state of grace. That's not living away from the state of lawlessness. John's favorite proof of alignment with righteousness is love for the brethren. You ought to just keep that in your minds. What's John's favorite proof that uh, you want righteousness and not lawlessness? And that is, do you love your brother or your sister in the Lord? <clears throat> now, John says, from the beginning... From the beginning, Christian love has always been a key element in righteousness. Uh, here he refers to the beginning uh, there in verse 8. He says uh, that the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, Satan causes a lot of trouble, but one of the things that he does is, is to divide people and to make them hate each other and not love each other. And this has always been a problem, but the solution has always been there from the beginning. And he went over this earlier in First John, he says, do you love your neighbor? Do you love those who are in Christ with you? Those who are without love, and I notice verse 8 again, those who, uh, who are uh, of that frame of mind to hate their neighbor, they're not of God. They are of the devil. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of of the devil. And if you're not loving as you're supposed to, then you've got a problem. Now it may not ultimately mean that you're unsaved or anything like that, but it may mean that you need to examine your heart and repent of any 
hatred or, or any jealousy or any reason that you can't love your neighbor. Without love, whose are you? Well, you're the children of the devil. You belong to the devil. That's what he says here. Don't, don't get mad at me because I said it. John says it right here. The one who is in Christ, the one who has a new heart, the one who is joined with Christ in this battle will love his neighbor and will do everything he can to support that. Now the example, of course, that he gives here, and notice how far back it goes, all the way to, to the earliest days of creation. He says, Cain and Abel. Abel had good deeds. And I think from that we have to mean this also, that he really loved his brother Cain even though Cain was not a very nice person, evidently. But on the other hand, Cain, it says, hated his brother. And John says, this is the, this is the age-old test. This is where we have to examine everything and, and make a judgment. Are you in a state of lawlessness? Well, do you hate your neighbor or not? Do you hate your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ or not? Prime examples, he said, go back to Cain and Abel. You have Cain who hated his brother because his deeds were not good, but his brother's deeds were righteous. So, we just close with this today. We want not to be in a state of lawlessness. We want to join Christ in His conflict with lawlessness. We want to be sure that our hearts move us toward righteousness. If there's any example that you need, any test you need for yourself, do you love your brother or your sister in the Lord? That's the test. And that's what John puts forth here for us as well as for those that he was originally writing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to love as we should. Deliver us, O Lord, from any lawlessness or any inclinations toward lawlessness. Help us to join the fight with the Lord Himself that uh, God's commandments, God's way, God's love will be the principal thing in our lives. Keep us in that state of grace until, Lord, we are at last in a state of perfect righteousness with Christ when the Lord Himself shall come again. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.